Hello and welcome to the Race to Speak Up podcast. As always, I am your host, Devin Moore. Today's guest is Lakeisha Williams. Principal Lakeisha Williams is a longtime educator and principal of Shine Shine PS399 in Brooklyn, New York. Williams' approach to educating, oh, excuse me, education takes into consideration all aspects of life. However, she is most known in her local area and by her students for her organization of social justice and empowerment programs and events. She is the author of two Amazon bestsellers. Shine on Brown Girl is the first children's book in her series. I actually met Lakeisha at the Queen's Book Fair. It was incredible. Lakeisha spoke and commanded the room at the book fair. And it it made the moment even sweeter when her granddaughter showed up and she shared with all of us that her granddaughter has a nail polish line, which is wow. So welcome, Lakeisha. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining. And so now I know your name is Lakeisha, but you also have a nickname that um, you want to go by. So tell us your nickname. (laughs) So people lovingly know me as Shine on Lakeisha or Shine Shine. Okay, now tell us, because I know you have Shine on Brown Girl. So tell us how that nickname arrives and tell us about your book. Why don't you start off with that? Uh, sure. So as, as I just shared with you, um, I am the, 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 the brand that represents Lakeisha Williams is Shine Shine. And Shine on Brown Girl came about as a result of the different empowerment activities that I do with the children in my school community, in the community of Flatbush, Brooklyn. You know, I have Black and Brown children in my school. And during the election of Biden and Harris, we did a celebratory activity. It was a poem that was written by someone else. And I did the, um, the poem with my girls in my school community, which was a, an, an empowerment um, poem, helping Black and Brown girls feel good about who they are and affirming who they are. And I posted the video to social media, which is typical of, you know, what we do at Shine Shine 399. And the video went viral. But the video went viral for two reasons. One reason is that, uh, you know, many folks felt as though, why was I indoctrinating the children? They felt that I should be fired. They were comparing me to Hitler. And I even received death threats. Um, I had to actually file a police report with the nearest six percent. The other reason why the video went viral is because Black and Brown women around the world it resonated with them. You know, it spoke to something in them. And they wrote about um, my school community efforts in a paper in India. An Italian news station reached out to me and interviewed me. Um, and AM New York newspaper interviewed me. Countless podcasts, you know, and, and local publications as well. And so what that told me was that in the year of, you know, um, the 21st century, Black and brown women around the world still feel invisible. And so I felt that I needed to do more. Like, what else could I do? And being an educator, you know, and and at this point, I had my first book, which was already, um, had already been published, Still Out Thrive, which was an anthropology project dedicated to supporting adults. I felt that, you know what? 
let me write a children's book kind of like uh summing up the importance of black and brown girls feeling good about themselves and speaking to the experiences that they experience so although our children are depicted in books you know at this time their stories are not necessarily told from their perspective and so as a result of that video going viral you know i decided to write my first children's book which is an amazon bestseller shine on brown girls who represent the the beauty and brilliance and magnificence of black and brown girls around the world Thank you for, well, first off, I want to say thank you for sharing that story. I know that there was pain in it. I know that you have to do that. Like you have to speak up. And that's why I'm so glad that you were even, well, certain things led to you being able to share your story and share brown girl stories um, through your children's book. I know when it comes to me, so I, um, I have my children's book, Devin Speaks Up. And it talks about, um, not only does it talk about the in, the, in the title, the importance of speaking up, but it also talks about how to be upstanders, you know, standing up for another person who isn't really, who may be fearful to speak up or who doesn't know how to speak up, you know, and I'm so glad to see um, children's book. This is something, whenever the topic of children's book comes up, you will always hear me say these few things. I'm so glad that we have children's books that, that represent young Black boys, young Black girls, um, even Indian, Muslim, Hispanic, even disabled, you know, all these different types of things. Because when I was at the age of when I, you know, when we should first start actually literally reading children's books, that should be when I saw students that looked like me in those books, but I didn't. And like, I went to a predominantly white middle school. And so, you know how, Okay, shine, shine. So you know how during those times, like if it is a predominantly white middle school, they will always have those three black authors. It's like two black guys and one black woman. I think it was like Maya Angelou was the black woman for it. And then um, James Baldwin and Langston Hughes. Like it was always those three that I would always see. And then being the only black few, from my experience, being the only black few, few black students there. I was not really seeing much. I didn't see Hispanic. I should have saw more Black, but I didn't see Hispanic. I didn't see Indian. I didn't see all the Asian. I didn't see any of these other things. It wasn't even talk about disabled people. None, none of this was coming up. So luckily we're able to take our experiences and educate others through children's book, books, excuse me, and start when, you know, start on start the conversation off when they're younger, geared towards their age. So that's my little rant <laughs> when it comes to that. But um, so was writing Shine on Brown Girl a labor, a labor of love for you? It absolutely was a labor of love, you know, and just listening to you share your story. So imagine when I was in school, right, there were definitely um, nothing representative of, you know, um, um, again, the, the beauty and brilliance of, of a Black woman. And uh, it, it is absolutely important that our children know that right um we have to be very mindful of the, the messages that our children receive on a daily basis both direct and indirect messages so shine on brown girl is absolutely a labor of love because everything that i do with children and for children is to make sure that our children know that they are somebody and know that they are loved and most importantly equip them with the necessary um 
tools and strategies that they need to continue, you know, this this fight, if you will, of, of making sure that we are represented across all facets of our society. See, those are actually when you were saying that, it kind of reminds me of low self-esteem. Cause when it comes to, you know, reading certain books and hearing certain things, it can either bring up your self-esteem or bring it down and just last with you. And I think having books like yours or hearing people like you who who get it, I think that would bring up self-esteem. But oftentimes, I mean, things are changing. Don't get me wrong. Things are changing. I think things have come a long way. And I think we may need to still come a long way when it comes to certain things, just maybe society as a whole. But I think that in order to really have that positive change when it comes to students in schools is by starting young. So again, as I said this before, but is by starting young. So having books like this, that's truly what we need. Having anti-bullying children's books, having all these different types of things that I already listed out, that's what we need. And so just seeing a book like yours, Shine on Brown Girl, you know, Shine on Brown. Guys, make sure you look up that book. I hope you guys are looking up this book right now. Yeah, she's holding it up. For those who are, yeah, she's holding it up. <laughs> yes, but um, so Shine Shine, I, I love that nickname. But anyways, so tell us about, I mean, I know you told us a little bit about your story, but tell us more about where your journey began. Where did you grow up? What was childhood like? Kind of tell us more about that. So I'm, I'm actually a Southern girl. Um, I was born in South Carolina. My family is from the South. Um, but I was raised in New York City. So I am a Brooklyn girl. Um, and I, I, I always like to attribute my grandmother's story as a prelude to everything that I am today. And so during the South, in the South, during the, uh, the, the 50s and the 60s, you know, although slavery, you know, was, was over again, that the mental forms of slavery was still in place. And so where my, where my family was from in the South, um, um, sharecropping was still in place, you know, which basically meant that my family had to work the farms that the white men, that the white men owned. And so my parents who are currently in their sixties, when they were children, when they woke up in the morning, it was a choice of, do, we, do they go to school or do they go to work on the farms? And we're talking about my parents who are in the 60s. And when they were children, they woke up and oftentimes they had to go work on the farms, right? That was their childhood experience. And so my grandmother in the 60s, you know, we had the great migration from the South to the North at the time. And so my grandmother participated in that. And she left everything that she knew in the South because she wanted a different, she wanted something different for her family. She didn't necessarily know what it was, but she knew that she wanted something different. And so everything that I am today in terms of, of, of my character, my ethics, my resilience, you know, my perse persevering nature, I do attribute to my grandmother because it took courage. It took courage for a woman who knew that was all she knew. You know, she had a large family, but my grandmother was a woman who was ahead of her time. She said, you know what? I am not going to remain in the abusive marriage. I'm not going to remain in what I feel is a hopeless situation. 
and I'm going to, you know, be brave enough to embark on a new challenge because I want better for myself, for my children, and for my family. And so I oftentimes bring that up because lived experiences are just as valued, if not more, than college experiences. And I feel that as a society, you know, of course, a lot of weight is, is placed on where you went to school and, and, and how many degrees you have and, and, and what's your job title per se, right? But when we're talking about grit, those are intangibles, right, that you can't learn in school. Right. So my grandmother was not formally educated. My parents were not formally educated, but everything that they had in them, they poured into me. And as a result of that, you know, I am who I am today, this social justice community leader who believes in uplifting our children and making sure our children feel empowered, know that they are loved and know that they are not victims. So although I know during this time of the year, you know, we focus on just bullying awareness and different things like that. But I, I, I feel that my job here is to help as many children as I possibly can, be even beyond Shine Shine through 99, right? Helping as many children as I possibly can to know that they are not victims, they are victorious, and to make sure that they have the necessary intangibles embedded within themselves and feel empowered to shine on, right? And to speak up and speak out and do the different things that, you know, folks like me in the community are doing and folks like you in the community are doing to really and truly make a difference, not only for ourselves, but for everyone that we encounter. Yeah, I mean, especially during times like this, National Bullying Prevention Month, this is like, this is specifically the time where we need to highlight this problem of bullying. We should always, don't get me wrong, we should always highlight and acknowledge that. And by having books, you know, having children's books, that's how, that's another, it just trickles back to that's how we start this conversation off. You know, when it comes to me having this race to speak up anti-bullying organization, working with Humanity Rising and other anti-bullying organizations and meeting amazing people like yourself, you know, talking to all these different people and getting their perspectives on the topic of bullying and how they're using their perspective and their positive solutions to help others. This is a great way to show unity, working with, the, working with each other, working together, giving youth the tools that they need to brighten, oh, make a more positive world. That's what I should say, make a more positive world. That's exactly what we should know and we should love, everyone should. And so now, um, so, Tell us more about why you think it's important to speak up um, about telling children of color how amazing they are. Um, it is absolutely critical. You know, um, I fell in love with history in college um, because when I was in, in school, you know, my formal schooling years from kindergarten through high school, history was always about memorization of, of dates and facts and different things that happened. But when I got to college, it was more so about understanding stories. And I'll never forget, that's the way to, uh, a professor that I had presented it because I actually minored in history. And I, I am, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, right? I believe that all stories are powerful. And I believe that we can use stories in our efforts to, like you just said, you know, make sure that we have um, 
this positive impact, you know, through, throughout our world for everyone. I'm very mindful of, of the country that we live in, the society that we live in, and our children, um, unfortunately, children of color, black and brown children, are bombarded with negative images and, and messages on a daily basis. And far too often in our marginalized communities, right, our children and families reside in, in, in neighborhoods that are underfunded and lack the necessary resources that they need. So as a principal, you know, my focus was to make sure that I was able to express the fact that our children don't lack a thing from within. What our children actually lack is access and the necessary resources that they need to be able to shine and thrive in their own respective rights. And so my focus as, as a principal and beyond, right, is to make sure that I do everything within my power to help our children understand that message. Because oftentimes I refer to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like this, this is not what Shine Shine is saying, right? This, this, this is research-based human theory and human development. We cannot get to the top of the pyramid of self-actualization until we address the basic needs, right? And what are the basic needs? Food, shelter, safety, loving, a sense of belonging. Like once our children are immersed in environments like that within their homes, within the communities, within the schools, then our children can, can realize and achieve their fullest potential going even as early as elementary school. So it, it is absolutely important to me as an educator that our children get this message, get the access, get the exposure, have the platform so that these are things that live with them throughout. And I know that my journey as an educator and as the principal of Shine Shine Food and I was to make sure my children got that message and knew that message every day. And my hopes is that as, as I continue forward, you know, in, in my educational journey, that I continue to give back to the community and uplift as many children as I possibly can. So with my company that I did found, that I founded during the pandemic, Brickhouse Unlimited, my simple, like my, my vision is simple, right? Strengthening our families, strengthening our communities, if we strengthen our communities, that we build stronger families, and therefore we can have stronger schools and better schools because it is all connected. And so that is the goal of, you know, Brickhouse Unlimited to transcend what's happening in our schools, but make sure that the work that the necessary work that needs to be done in the community is interconnected with our children and families. And that is is absolutely what our children need. And and I believe that that's my purpose here in life is to make sure that I am a part of the solution to make sure that our children know that they're loved, to make sure that our children have the access and to make sure that as often as I possibly can, that our children are, are embedded with those daily messages to know that you are powerful, you are loved, you are somebody 
and you can and will do whatever it is that you want to do to impact the world. So my message to children is not about what they want to do or be when they grow up, right? But my message to children is what problems do you see that exist in our world that you want to change? Because we are equity warriors and we are a part of, right? The solution to making sure that this is a better society for all of us. And yes, our children are powerful beyond message, beyond measure, and they can get this message and they retain this message as early as elementary school. Music to my ears, music to my ears and equity warriors. That's not, I like that a lot. That's what people need to start calling themselves when they're doing what you're saying, equity warriors. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. So the audience, <laughs> make sure you're keeping that in mind. Make sure you're understand how you're doing equity, how you're becoming an equity warrior. And so now tell us about how you got started with your organization. With Brickhouse Unlimited? Which organization? Yeah, with Brick, oh, sorry, with Brickhouse Unlimited. <laughs> um, again, I... I, I believe that as long as you're alive, I mean, I'm still young, but I believe uh, as, as long as you're alive, you should, should be learning and growing and evolving. And the work that I did as a principal was beyond like my wildest dreams. Like I, I, I've been an, an educator, you know, for uh, 25 years, just celebrated, you know, my uh, 25th anniversary. And um, I didn't see all of this from the beginning. You know, um, I came into the DOE as a paraprofessional, which is a teacher's assistant, worked my way up through the ranks, you know, being a teacher and, and uh, then a literacy coach supporting teachers. And because we have to make sure we're taking principals in a the district, then principal 399 and so much more. Um, but my role in, in being a principal was so much more than children passing the test. You know, and, and I was told during my tenure to make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. Um, but to me, the main thing is making sure that children are loved, right? Because I can't get children to pass the test if they're not loved. I can't get children to pass the test, going back to Maslow, if, if their basic needs are not met. So everything that went into making sure my children were able to do well, right? I found that it, it actually involved the parents, it involved the families, it involved the community, because schools are not a separate entity from society. Schools are actually a reflection of. So as a principal sitting in the school, you know, I, I just knew that there was so much more that needed to be done in the work that I was doing with families. And then even when the global pandemic hit, it, it, it impacted all of us. And I had so many parents thanking me for the work that I was doing to support them. Because my philosophy was, was what is it what is it that you need for me so I can support you? Because I understood the connection. So when we're talking about strengthening, you know, homeschool connections, again, it, 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 the school is a part of society. And so the school, like that is a part of our responsibility as well, right? Because again, I cannot separate the child from the family. And, and if a child is in school, they're not going to be able to, to pass that test. And, and do their best academically if they have so many other un, unmet needs, right? Um, and it was this work that I did during my, my tenure as, as principal that made me say, you know what? It, it goes back to the community. And now, of course, I'm one person, so I could not do everything alone, you know, but I did have a strong team 
at Shine Shine 399. And most importantly, I was able to tap into the community, you know, many different community-based organizations. So whatever it is that my school community needed support with, you know, I will come across fathers needed, you know, who, who may have recently been released from prison, who needed job support. You know, so then I would tap into somebody in the community to say, listen, I need you to come to my school and, and we need to do a, a job fair for our families. You know, we have weekly food drives, we have coat drives, we had, you know, workshops to support our families. So again, all of that work is connected, it's not separate and apart. And so during the pandemic, again, I just felt like I needed to do more. I needed to do so much more. And so ultimately, you know, my long-term goal is to retire myself from the Department of Education sooner rather than later, you know, and, and just devote my time full time to making sure that I am a part of the solution of, of strengthening families within the community and bridging the gap of those resources and making sure that our families have access and supporting schools in many different ways, you know, that they need. Because in that, that is the main thing of making sure that our children are well. So how can, yeah, I know you as an educator can really understand this, but how can we make a more positive school environment? Um, making sure that each principal um, is, is, is aware of the demographics of his or her specific school. And based on the, the needs of the school community. And that's of course the key constituents, the children, um the the staff and the families making sure that um that an action plan is put in place to address that and so at shine shine 399 coming into a school that was ranked 29 out of 32 schools in a district i knew that based on all of the demographic data of that school because they did not just bring children take a test but based on the demographics the demographic data of of the school community I knew I needed to go in, I needed to improve the, the, the school facilities, right? I needed to improve instruction. I needed to provide professional development and, and different workshops to support staff and families, right? I needed to increase funding. And I was able to, you know, successfully do that um, from the beginning of my, my role as tenure to the point where year one, I was principal of the year. And year four, you know, millions of dollars have come into Shine Shine 399 to support meeting the needs of the demographics of, of that particular school. And so that is my hope to make sure that as I continue my work forward in supporting um, principals across, you know, uh, the New York City Department of Education, that every principal is able to meet the specific needs of their demographics because Education is it's not a cookie cutter approach, right? And I think sometimes people think it is, right? But it's not. And we most definitely cannot take the human element and the human factor out of this work. So the, the, the social justice issues that we are faced with in our societies are also in the schools, right? Because schools are not a separate entity from society. So it is just as important that we address these needs, which will ultimately impact, you know, students' academic achievement. So I, for me, it is definitely all connected. And um, I know the importance of continuing this work and supporting as many principles as possible.
You know, I think students who understand that societal issues, you know, outside of school issues are still issues that can affect you while inside of school. Those students who understand that, they, they like most obviously have a reason to be mad. So the reason why I'm saying that, I just want to start off with that because the reason why I'm saying that is because going back to when um, Black Lives Matter was quote unquote trending, if for those who have TikTok, you get what I mean when I'm saying that, all those videos about Black Lives Matter. But anyways, when Black Lives Matter was really being talked about, that was when things were really being exposed and put on the forefront, police brutality, and it's still being put on the forefront uh, now, but I'm saying when things were really starting up. So students at school, they were able to kind of like bring their knowledge, Black students were able to bring their knowledge, and then students like outside of that who didn't understand that would bring their quote-unquote knowledge back and you know those black students I don't I'm not talking on all of them but they have a reason to be mad like we would have a reason to be mad because we're understanding that um of all this hate is coming towards us just for the simple fact that we're black or the ignorance to black skin color you know all of that and so for us to understand that these societal issues still affect us just for the simple fact that we're black, that's we're bringing our knowledge back to the school and we may want to educate others. We may want to do such and such. I mean, I know there was a lot of times where students who weren't black would kind of just go up to their nearest black person and ask about the history of black people just because police brutality and Black Lives Matter was so in their face, which is a whole nother story and a whole nother thing that I don't know if I even need to get into right now. But what I'm saying is, you know, I'm just saying that these things should be able to, like, we should be able to talk about it and we should be able to express our emotions. It depends on what exactly you're doing with those emotions. But I'm saying, you know, when it comes to school and you're talking to your peers, we should be able to calmly talk with one another in effort to whether it be find solutions or understand things with each other, relate to each other. You know, all these, we're, there's a lot of different minority groups. That's, that's most likely, that's one of the reasons why we have so many clubs in schools, why we have so many um, separate communities or, you know, all these different things in schools. So when, I'm, when it comes to that, I just think that school truly is a good environment to um, convey yourself and talk, but it also depends on that type of school. There may be a predominantly such and such um, environment and you may be the minority in that school and it's harder for you to talk about your problems that you face as a Black person, a Hispanic person, an Asian person, you know, all these different things, a disabled person, a gay person, you know. It may be harder if that's not the majority, but we still should be able to talk about it, and the school should be an accepting environment. That's something that I think, I don't want to, again, I don't want to talk for everyone, but when I, you know what, I'll say that's what I think more people should understand and more people should acknowledge and more people should know about. So that's just my, that's, I'm just saying that in general, like that's just my experience when it comes to schools. Again, I went to a predominantly white middle school and because I like was there for like a long time, I didn't realize people were doing, um, they're called yeah, microaggressions. So like, you know what I mean? So people showing that mentality towards me certain groups showing that mentality and rudeness and hatefulness towards me and towards my other Black peers, that 
that was a wake up call once I was in the eighth grade and I started to actually understand what they were doing. And then the biggest wake up call was when I actually went through an extreme form of racism with students um, photoshopping my face onto racist images and continuing to bully me while in the actual school environment. So, so when it comes to um, when it comes to bullying, there's we have so many different solutions, but it's the fact the matter of like um, principals wanting to help put an end to this situation or other students or school faculty. You know, there's so many different types of people on the school staff that can help, but it's also a matter of how do you help? Do you want to help? When do you help? Like all these different things. And then it's also like, there's so many different forms of bullying. We have bullying, then we have cyberbullying, physical, social, verbal. Then under that, we also, oh, and we have racial too. Then under that, like say if it's racial bullying, what type of racial bullying? Was it cyber, physical, verbal, social? You know, like all these different things. And so I think, I think more people need to understand. And by going to your workshops or going to your empowerment group, like all these different things, that's truly what we need in schools in order to make a better school environment for all. And, you know, with like smaller things as just like putting post-it notes on the walls of your school, if you're able to, that say positive affirmations. I, if you go to my social media, you will see I am the king of positive affirmations always posting positive affirmations to help others days. So by going to the school environment, and you know, there's a lot of school work, so it may be harder for that person in the day, or they may go through other things. By having that posted note, or by having that positive thing up, that you just help like lift their spirits like 90%, or that may be an exaggeration, but lift their spirit, their um, spirits so much that it helps them get through the rest of their school day. That's what we should do. We need to uplift and we need to empower each other. We need, to, we need to shine on others. We need to shine on each other, if I can say that. So again, kind of went a little bit long with what I said, Lakeisha, but I know you understand what I'm saying. You were nodding the whole time. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, I, I'm in absolute agreement with everything that you said. And as an educator, you know, I'm going to, on behalf of all educators, you know, apologize to you for the unfortunate experience that you did encounter in school. And again, this is why for me, I lead with, I am a social justice leader, right? Because education is not just about what's happening during the school day and children passing the test, right? It is it's so much more than that. And equity is not just about attending meetings and talking about what needs to be done, right? But it is a mindset shift. It is a culture shift. It is looking at the demographics of individual schools and making sure that the educators as the leaders, right, are leading this work and, and making sure that our children know, again, that they are loved, that we are affirming our children and that we are educating our children way beyond a textbook because we all live in this world together. We all live in this society together. And if we're not taking care of all of our children, then it will impact all of our children. And I say that a lot and, I'm, and, I, and I oftentimes repeat it because I'm like, let that sink in. It behooves us as human beings, right? To take care of all of the children because it impacts all of our children. And do we want that to be a, a positive, you know, impact? 
or do we want that to be a negative impact? And so for me, our schools have to serve as, you know, the, the, the gateway to making sure that our children are really and truly educated in, in, in worldly affairs and, and matters and developing empathy, right? Because everyone passes through educators. I don't care what you ultimately end up doing as an adult, right? Whether you, you know, you're podcasting, whether you become a doctor, whether you're an entrepreneur, fashion this, it doesn't matter what you decide to do. And like the judges and officers, everybody must pass through educators. You're right. You know how powerful that is? Everyone must pass through educators. So if we're not adequately educating our children, then they're going to show up in the schools. They're going to show up in on the police forces. They're going to show up in the military. They're going to show up in these companies and organizations as the CEOs and this, that, and the other. And then this, and, and then they're going to interact in a negative way with the society because they haven't been properly educated. So people oftentimes like to, you know, quote Martin Luther King and everybody loves him now, but we often forget that when Martin Luther King was alive, they persecuted him. Martin Luther King was assassinated, right? He was assassinated, he was murdered for believing in not just black people, but uplifting all people. Like that's why he was murdered, right? Because his message turned to like, we are responsible for each other. And justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, which is why it is absolutely critical that as educators, we do this work in our schools. We have to do this work in our schools. And that's why as, as a principal, you know, I led the way that I led. And as I move on, you know, in my educational journey, my goal is to impact as many different school communities as I possibly can, because I believe in this work, right? I believe that this is the work. This is the necessary work. And like John Lewis oftentimes said, you have to be willing to get into some good trouble, right? If you want to make a difference in history, you have to be willing to be misunderstood, mocked, you know, and, and, and different things of, of that nature. But this is the word. So when I talk about being an equity warrior, this is absolutely the word. Because no child should have to experience what you experience in any school across our country. Now, Lakeisha... You obviously have a lot going on. You are obviously doing a lot of great things. Now, I want to ask you about how you balance that out. So what do you do in your downtime? <laughs> I love to travel. Okay. Um, I, I, I love to travel. And on another podcast, you know, we've been talking about my trip to Bali, you know, um, but I absolutely love traveling. Again, it's it's educational for me. It's enjoying, like learning about different cultures. You know, again, like that education is beyond the, the, the classroom. It's beyond the school building. But traveling helps me to de-stress and, and relax. Um, I'm also a lover of, of all things related to music. Um, I can't sing, but I love to sing. <laughs> and and I absolutely love dancing and I enjoy my family, you know, spending time with my 
family and friends and, and my beautiful granddaughter who, like you said earlier, you know, is, is, is the CEO of her own company, Similarly Nail Polish. So those are the things that, that bring me joy and, and, and I absolutely believe in living a balanced life. So sure, I'm on this podcast and we're talking about all things important that matter, but you can't pour from an empty cup. So I truly believe in making sure that I'm pouring into Keisha, pouring into Shine Shine, right? To make sure that I am able to share my gifts with the world. What's been the most challenging part of your journey? Um, the most challenging part of my journey, again, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, uh, John Lewis, good trouble. When you are an equity warrior, when you do stand for something, when you do speak up, when you do focus on your shining your light as brightly as you can, you know, unfortunately, people want to silence that. And so that is, you know, the, the most challenging thing. And unfortunately, sometimes it's the people that look like you. But I am steadfast and 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 what I believe is is my purpose. You know, I do believe in God, I believe in a higher power, and I believe that this this is my gift and contribution to the world. And I will continue to be that voice, to 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 to, to be that vessel to help as many different children as I possibly can and families across the community. What's your most rewarding part of your journey? children get it the children get it and and it doesn't necessarily mean that you know when children pass a test but when children know and understand that i love them and when they are happy to share their progress so like that was the key word for me and my speaking are you making progress right and so when children love to share that when children are on the stage you know so in shine shine 399 like my school community was the first elementary school in Brooklyn, probably New York City, to participate in TED Talk. And school year 1920, before the pandemic happened, my children were able to share their stories, right? On the stage of Mega Everest College. And those are experiences that my children will never forget. So when, when my children feel powered and they feel proud and they know that they make a difference and, you know, my student government got together and, and they interviewed, um, our local elected officials and community leaders, such as Eric Adams, you know, like come and talk to my children. They have some concerns, but again, because of the way I led in my school, my student government every year, like they got to bring their concerns to me. What is it that, you know, you want to, um, what problems do you want to solve and how can I support you? And during that year, you know, my children, it was like the elections was taking place in New York City and my children, they, they wanted the, the politicians who were running for office to address their concerns. And they had concerns such as food insecurity, homelessness, violence, elementary school children. So again, I think about your experience and I'm like, wow, like you would have done so well, you know, if you were a student in my school because everyone wants to be heard, everyone wants to feel validated, and everyone needs the necessary resources and tools that they need so that they know they matter and they know that they are an equity warrior. So for my children to experience that as, at such an early age, like that is the absolute most rewarding experience for you. For my children to become business owners themselves in my school, right? I had an organization, organization that I partnered with, Smell, Similarity Minds, through entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship and leadership, 
development for children. And, and again, my children's earliest kindergarten was learning about writing business proposals and open up their, opening up their own businesses. So when I say Brick House Unlimited is about our families, it is absolutely about that. It's not just about my granddaughter having her own business. It's not just about Lakeisha Williams, you know, having her own business, but it's about our, my contribution to the world and making sure that that I am a part of the solution to create the systemic change across all facets of our school community, of our society in general, to make sure that our children are well and to make sure that our families are well. So that is the absolute most rewarding part of this work for me. Now, but, oh, now shine, shine. If you were to sum up in a couple of sentences, um, Oh, you know, I want you to sum up in a couple of sentences. How do you race to speak up? How do you race to speak up? Mm-hmm. How are you creating that positive change? I know you've been telling us it the whole time, but I want you to I want you to sum it up in a couple of sentences. How do you race to speak up? Um you know, I'm I'm thinking back to the the different types of feedback that I received during my principal journey. And it's, it, it may seem simple enough, but it's not always so simple. But being transparent, right? Or whatever role you play, whether you may be the leader in that organization. Well, if you're the leader, because you have to create a successful environment, right? Being very transparent, um, listening to other people, creating a safe space so that others feel comfortable enough to express themselves and share their concerns, but vulnerability is key. Vulnerability is key for the leader, right? To know and understand um, their own areas of expertise and, and areas of growth so that we're able to work together as a team, you know, whether it be in a school such as myself, whether it be in a, you know, a, a different agency or whatever. But I believe that leadership is not about titles. Leadership is, is, is about your understanding of people skills, right? Your understanding of your role, the role that you play with connecting people together, right? And your series of action steps to help to positively impact the lives of others. And, you know, I know that was more than a few sentences, but if I had to give you like four key things, four key takeaways, right, then for race to speak up. The four key takeaways would be having a growth mindset, teamwork, high expectations, and work ethic. And I feel like when people possess those, those skills, then we're able to come together as a community to make sure that everyone within that organization, within that school community feels comfortable enough and competent enough to voice their concerns and know that they are a part of the solution, which is why for me, bullying, there should be, I would love to see a shift, right? With making sure that we are empowering our children to know that they are equity 
warriors. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's definitely my pleasure. Would you like to share your social media platforms and how people can find and contact you? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at principal underscore shine on Lakeisha. And that is Lakeisha spelled L-A-K-E-A-S-H-A. So principal underscore shine on Lakeisha. And I do have a website for my company, brickhouseunlimited.com. And I am currently, you know, just um, seeking to engage my community outreach efforts to do more work within our marginalized communities and mar marginalized agencies, such as going to the prison systems, visiting shelters, the foster care agencies, because again, our, our community does not lack anything except access and resources. So my goal, the goal of Brickhouse Unlimited is to make sure I close the access gap and impact as, as many people as I possibly can. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you to everyone listening. I hope to see all of you at future Race to Speak Up podcasts. And if anyone ever has any questions about the Race to Speak Up podcast, always feel free to contact me at racetospeakup at gmail.com. Follow at Race to Speak Up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on future podcasts. Head over to my website, www.racetospeakup.com to check out all things Race to Speak Up and join the Humanity Rising movement. Humanity Rising offers scholarships for students making a difference in the world through service. Visit www.humanityrising.org for more information. And remember to ask yourself this very one question. How do you race to speak up.